Hello and welcome to Cape in Conversation, a vintage books podcast mini-series which celebrates a hundred years of the vintage imprint Jonathan Cape by bringing together some of Cape's finest writers. Today we'll be talking with Alison Bechdel and Anne Enright. I'm Shahid Abari, I'm a critic, academic and broadcaster and a Cape author too. I'm your host for this podcast series as we talk with writers from across the range of generations and genres published by Cape. And that includes conversations between novelists Rachel Kushner and Natasha Meshfeg, Salman Rushdie and Katie Kitamura, and Julian Barnes with artist Celia Paul. Today we're talking with two writers, one a novelist and essayist based in Ireland, the other a cartoonist and memoirist in the USA. Far apart geographically they may be, but certainly writers with plenty in common too. Anne Enright was born, lives and works in Dublin. She's the author of six novels, including The Gathering, which reflects on a death by suicide in the family and the secrets that emerge as the family gathers for the wake. It won the Man Booker Prize in 2007. While her novel The Forgotten Waltz won the Andrew Carnegie Medal for Excellence in Fiction in 2015. That year, Anne was the first ever laureate for Irish fiction and in 2018, she received the Irish Pen Award for Outstanding Contribution to Irish Literature. You might also know her as a prolific critic, writing for The New Yorker and The London Review of Books. Her latest novel, Actress, published last year, is the story of an Irish theatre legend, as told by her daughter. And it's about mothers, daughters, sex, fame and power, among many other things. Alison Bechdel is an American cartoonist, perhaps best known for her graphic memoir of 2006, Fun Home, a family tragicomic about her childhood in rural Pennsylvania. It's a book about the complications of sexuality, specifically that of her father and her own, and the secrets that families keep from each other. Fun Home was adapted as a multiple Tony Award-winning musical in 2015. Alison's second graphic memoir, Are You My Mother?, a comic drama, turned to her relationship with her mother and draws upon her interests in psychoanalysis, specifically the work of British analyst Donald Winnicott. Alison was awarded a MacArthur Genius Award in 2014. Her newest work is The Secret to Superhuman Strength, again a memoir about relationships, family, activism and her lifelong passion for exercise of all forms, karate, cycling, yoga and weightlifting. It came out in May this year. Hello Anne and Alison. Hi Shahida. Hello. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, I'm in South London right now where I have to tell you we're having the most eerie weather it's sort of post heat wave and biblical rain I don't know what to do with my laundry where are you right now Anne? I'm in a suburb of Dublin uh, I've just come back from the Atlantic actually I was over in Connemara for my holidays where we already had that biblical rain oh. where we made it actually and sent it over <laughs> to you so we know to blame you Alison where are you? I am in Vermont in New England where we have also been having quite a bit of rain. I wish we could send it out to the west coast of this country, which is in flames. Yes, yeah, I, that, that's terrible. Um, but yeah, let's send the terrible weather to them rather than to us. Um, have you two met before? I think I think you haven't met before, no. No. Right. No, I, I just have to make a terrible confession that I am an idiotic, illiterate American <laughs> and I have only just discovered Anne's work. Uh, and. For the past two days, I have been in an absolute trance reading The Green Road. Oh. Uh, so I'm in a, you know, peculiar condition. I'm, it's very exciting to, to meet you, Anne, when I'm in the middle of this 
world oh, of yours. That's very kind of you. Actually, um, you know, Americans are so, uh, you know, in Ireland, if you're doing a gig in, <laughs> in Ireland, you, you might not read the other person's work, but there's something so thoroughgoing about the way American professional <laughs> life is conducted. But in fact, I had read, uh, I, I, I read Are You My Mother first of Alison's work, um, and it was when I was writing Actress, which is all about, you know, mm. um, an actress mother. And there's an actress mother in, 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 in this graphic novel. And I just found it really kind of, I love the kind of stillness of it, the way everything was figured out from frame to frame. It just, it, I, I, and I ha, it was new to me to read a graphic novel. So that was a first for me. And then, of course, I kind of snaffled up Fun Home. And, oh. and went to the Broadway show, which was uh, with the kids, okay. with the family later. So they're all very buzzed. They're not literally outside the door listening. They're too cool for that. But. And how, how old are your kids now? <laughs> yeah, 18 and 21. Huh. So they would have been. So they're still kids. <laughs> yeah, so am I. It's <laughs> 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 three of us. Where is the adult in the house? Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Ages. It's so it's so nice when uh, the writers for our our series do their homework and they 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 know a little bit about each other or, or read up. And I I think also as this conversation goes along, I think it become more apparent that. You do have lots in common, I, I, I think. I, I should say that, you know, of course, we're celebrating 100 years of Jonathan Cape and we've brought you two together as two writers working in different forms and different parts of the world. But it, it struck us that you had shared concerns. Um, uh, and I, like yeah. you, I noticed that there, that, that, that there was... That uh, uh, there is an you mean actress death. mother, <laughs> death <laughs> and acting and acting. mothers, yeah, exactly, mortality, suicide. I know, yeah, Bit we're starting that. on with the best foot forward here with the optimistic things. But I, I was going to ask you about family. That's what I wanted to ask, start our conversation with, because it do, it does seem to me that you're both interested in the dynamics of family life and how family life shapes a psyche. Um, whether that's told via a, a graphic memoir or a novel. And it is customary at such moments to quote Tolstoy about unhappy families and how much more interesting they are than happy families. But thinking about what your work... What did Tolstoy and... know about happy families? I mean, well... what did, you know, <laughs> what, did he, what did he think that was? He was I... himself a, a very peculiar father. And uh, did he go visiting and go, oh, that's a lovely happy family. I couldn't write about them. Anyway, I don't know where you I, I, I agree. I mean, I was going to ask you exactly this, that this that distinction seems far too simple for the two of you, that perhaps all families are to some degree unhappy. And, and for both of you, the family unit seems to be a crucible for imagination, for creativity, whatever it is. Something profound and complicated comes from the family. And that's what I wanted to start by asking you. As, as writers, what is it that you see in the family and maybe you go first on that first of all it's it's availability okay the research is easy okay <laughs> it's not as if you have to go out and, and 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 figure something out about ancient greece or anything it's just or actually in, in ancient greece they also had families i've talked about this quite a, lo a lot over the years and i and i know less about it the more I, the more it's discussed you know people described the family and the gathering as dysfunctional and I thought well they're doing all right actually you know most of them there were 12 of them and they were they were sort of 
they were they were they were fine and i didn't know what functioning or dysfunctioning might be about and there is a kind of language of being nice which is new and which is welcome um, but when I grew up, people were just as terrible as they wanted to be. <laughs> and it's sort of like, you know, that's how I feel. And therefore, that's what I say. And, and, and I'm interested in those kind of families, um, apart from anything else. In my own life, of course, I'm more interested in being nice. Just, mm. That's no um, answer at all, Shida. No, I, I mean, it's like, what else is there apart from family? Yes. What else is there? You know, yeah. you're talking to an audience in Manhattan or London and they might look blankly at you about family. But if you go anywhere outside the elite core of the first world, everybody in the audience nods. You go to any other country yes. and they know exactly what you're talking about. The ties that are so difficult and that that uh, and um, and so rewarding or not, but the yes. urge to leave and stay, all of that, it's our drama. It's how we grow up. And every family is a novel, it seems to me, unhappy or happy. But but Alison, what do you think? What, what What is it that you see in the family? You know, I have written these family memoirs, not by some sort of deliberate choice or strategy, but because it, it's something I, it was like a, a giant burlap sack I had to wrestle my way out of. Like, I can't write about anything until I get my mother and father out of my system. You know, but actually, you know, I I began writing memoir when I turned 40. So for all the years before that, I was writing a comic strip about a a bunch of lesbians who comprised what I thought of as an intentional family. Like this was you know, the kind of life as a as a gay person, I had gone on to forge in the world and I wanted to show other people doing that, but it never got into any of the really juicy, painful, dark stuff of my actual family. I had to like build up uh, to be able to really take that stuff on. And I, it, as I say, it wasn't until I was 40 and um, now I've written about my mother. I've written about my father. I've, <laughs> I've annoyed many members of my family by writing about my family. Um, so I'm not sure what that means going forward. I don't know what my next topic might be. Hmm. There's, al there's always something inevitable about, inevitable or, or kind of an obligation to write about the family or your family, I think. I, I, I'm interested in the peculiarity of the family too that it is the thing that we all most of us know best of all most of us are born into one and are up close to the other people in a family and yet it is a thing full of surprises and and both of you are interested in the secrets of a family but also the the uncertainty of what you think you may or may not know about your family or that or the family you're writing about yeah, there is no is secret right? there's no secret there's a sense of something secret but you know the secret might be that you're auntie had a sherry every Christmas and that was somehow terrible but the, the secrets are nothing when they're they're, they're, they're just a, a sense of loyalty and taboo sort of mixed so most family secrets are about money or sex or lies or whatever and, and, and most of the time we move through them they're not as big as they feel so they're, they're very amenable to fiction one way or the other and and the unknowability of other people that you're very familiar with happens in 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 with siblings as with romantic love um so that's and also I love the, something yeah I, I was just going to say and how much I love the way you 
capture the relationships between the siblings in the green road there's this way that you know they they know each other as children and they remain those children to one another even as they grow up and there's something so pure about the way you show that connection thank you they they but you know there's things that your family will never know about you and it's something about the great i am that goes out into the world and lives and does things and uh, 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 and grows separately from them and there is a kind of barrier you put up i mean you will never know this about me one way or mm -hmm. the other or you can't or, or you haven't got the capacity to know it about a sibling but they have their they have their stuff um, and I, I love that jostling within the frame of a novel that everybody is their own world. Mm. So so this, yeah. It can't be gainsaid, you know, you, you have your point of view, but I love that kind of multiplicity that the family brings. There's also the uncertainty of ourselves or the, the narrator in the family, of their, of their own self-knowledge. The gathering, Anne, your, your, your narrator begins, I would like to write down what happened in my grandmother's house the summer I was 89, but I'm also not sure if it really did happen. And, and Alison, when I, when I think about your work, I wonder whether when, you're, when, you're, when you were working on Fun Home and Are You My Mother, did you know what you wanted to say about yourself or, or does it come out in the writing? Are there things that you discover about yourself and, that, and your family life in the writing? Well, for me, yes, it, hopefully it comes out in the writing. That's the whole point of doing it. If I knew what I wanted to say about my family or my parents at the outset, there would be no point in going through that arduous process. So yeah, it's very much for me a way of figuring it out through the, through the language, through the sequencing of drawings, through, through the whole artistic sausage making process. Yeah. And the, and but it, that does seem to be the 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 not knowing at this or not not the not knowing but the the certain the uncertainty of of our of our memories and our 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 place in a family those are important to both of you is that right Anne Yeah well I'm the youngest in the family so uh, and it's a robust family of five siblings where most of us are, we see each other pretty much still all the time basically <laughs> and I'm the youngest so my Christmas day is spent saying this happened and with four people saying no that didn't happen so there's always somebody who's in charge of what happened or didn't happen it's usually somebody older than you so I have been sticking my elbows out as the youngest into my you know late middle age <laughs> saying you know to a a asserting uh, you know it's a kind of uh, uh, and, uh, you know, countries are the same thing. It's kind of a, a, a jostling of different stories. Mm. So I do, I do like the fact that I can't have the last word. Um, that there is, I, 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 you know, the, the, we, we're quite interested in the individual voice. Um, and I think the pandemic has made a really interesting shift in thinking communally or thinking even tribally as had been happening before the pandemic what it is to think as an individual or what it is to think as a society and that slight difference that that mm. difference is slighter in a family what it is to think as an individual or as a member of this group to which you didn't goddamn apply to belong <laughs> that is your default uh, place um, I've always been very interested in the difference between chosen love and the kind of families that Alison was talking about, the families we make as we get older, mm -hmm. and the families that we're given and have no choice in. 
Allison, did you want to come in there? Um, I, I am the oldest and I have grown sort of apart from my brothers. Like I am envious, Anne, when you talk about that, you know, constant telling and retelling of stories, we, we don't do that so much anymore, which is sad. Although one of my brothers will suddenly tell me a story that is so completely unfamiliar. I can't believe it's something that happened in my family. And it's so startling to think of, you know, this whole separate reality existing for him than, than the one I had. Uh, when I did start writing these family memoirs, I had some sense that I was telling some true story. I, I have a good memory. I have very clear memories of so many things in my childhood. But as I realized during this writing process, that doesn't necessarily mean it's the absolute truth. You know, everyone in my family had their own version of what happened. But I, I wonder if it's, I wonder if it's a truer truth in a funny way, or at least true to you. I think about the photographs of your father that you then draw, that there is, you know, a, a, a real photograph, a real photograph of a real image that other people will have seen. But then there is your drawing of it, your rendering of it, and whether your rendering of it is somehow truer in some way. Well, I would like to think so. <laughs> but um, I think what I learned through that whole process is that um, that that urge to find the truth is um, you have to let go of that because it's not it's not there. Yeah. Or what are you looking for? Uh, I, I mean, uh, if 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 I can refer to the title of your book, "Are You My Mother?" <laughs> so when when we have this feeling of approach when we're writing, or truthiness, or getting mm. to something that's either secret and terrible, or or almost secret and good, that these are these are these are familiar pathways. You know, these are what we're these are kind of infantile. Uh, yearnings being played out in, in, in a larger kind of form. And I just, can I just ask you a question? This yes. is a silly question, but I, it's hard for me to imagine making stories up out of whole cloth <laughs> the way you do. I can only write about things that have happened. How do you, where do these people come from i know yeah, i mean I, yeah well i'm i i'm writing a new book at the minute and i'm you know i i i still can make it up i don't know <laughs> i don't know <laughs> um and and you know touch wood you know because um yeah especially kind of in that there is a kind of and i feel a kind of I feel it as a, a, a potential predatory, jealous kind of anti-fictional thing out there. And I feel it not as a Puritan mode, you know, that people say, this isn't true. Why are you making this up? How can you be imagining things that are, you know, didn't happen? But sometimes I, I do get this kind of quite heavy sense of you shouldn't be making things up. But of course, I, I do nothing else all day. And it's just kind of really nice. So... <laughs> And I have their, I have the company of these characters. You know, you, you were talking. I read an interview you did in the Guardian, and you were talking about getting into a state of flow. I was thinking how easy it is for for me, one way or the other, after thirty years or more at the desk, that my my characters are all there waiting for me. I, you know, I was as I was thinking about talking with you, I 
that was one thing I wanted to say. It feels like these people and their voices are flowing out of you. Am I imagining that or is it? Well, like, not, without... not that I don't imagine you're, you're working very hard, but oh, there's a fluidity. <laughs> well, you, you know what it is. You throw it out and you do it again. You throw it out and you do it again. And, uh, and then if you're lucky, you can you can fake a sense of newness or or you can go back to the to to the to the actual first iteration and, and keep that freshness there one way or the other so that's kind of just the trick of it um or the technique of it i a lot of it for me is to do with voice so if you kind of get behind or kind of inside the voice of the characters they they start telling the story for you Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Uh, so, so it's a kind of improvisation. It's like improvising in the theatre. It's like putting on a costume. It's like putting on a different hat, and there you are. We should, we should <laughs> say for our audio <laughs> listeners that Anne has actually just put on a hat. <laughs> I, I put my moving, retiring to Florida pink baseball hat on. <laughs> uh, but Alison, can I ask you that, that question? Your own question back to you. Do you? Do you get in? Do you not get into a state of flow? Is it harder to get into a state of flow if you're working in the two mediums, in the visual medium as well as a literary medium? Are there are there drafts? Do you throw things out, or is it, is it much more meditative than that? I, I the writing process for me, which I in some ways do first. I have what I'm working on mostly written out before I start the drawing. I just find that part really really painfully difficult um and i rarely enter a state of flow occasionally i will forget myself and forget what i'm trying to do and just go somewhere with it but not very often for me the flow comes in the drawing process which i love and can get real just very easily and does the in. writing come before the drawing it it does i i kind of I'm writing in a visual way. I'm writing with my panels all drawn out. So I'm imagining what these images are going to be. And I'm, you know, treating the page as a two-dimensional field that I'm composing. Um, but I'm not actually taking my pencil to it. So so it's it's shaped. Sometimes I, so, you know, you've yeah. got a ba-bam big frame, you know, that that's going to happen on the next page that you're approaching. You say the next bit is going to be, Ta-da! You know, I'm going to have a, a zippy kind of yeah. high drama frame, or I'm going to have a series of little, little yes. let's keep it going kind of pacey <laughs> frames. Do you have that yeah. shape in your head as a narrative Well, that shape? evolves as I, as I go along. And, you know, I've gotten better at thinking in terms of the page flow, the way you just described. When I wrote Fun Home, there aren't a lot of variations in the panels like it's just a grid on each page pretty regular there's a few breaks from it but okay. not very many but i've but gotten that, more that adventurous also with that. gives a sense of authority and containment that you know uh, you know what's happening and you're sure enough of it to to to, to keep it within its frames you know i think it's it you, you do it so well it's just amazing oh well thank you I, i'm trying to set up this idea that you both write about family in a particular way but and there is also a risk when you when the object of your your study your thinking as a family is that you could you could be sentimental or you could be mawkish and you are both admirable in managing to swerve away from the sentimental and i wonder if the comic 
has a the, the, the sense of comedy or a certain acerbic observation in your characters and, and and in your case Alison you know fun home is set in a funeral home and you call it a tragic comic I think the the comic part of comic also being about comedy as well as as the, the graphic element I wonder if that's a strategy to to evade the sentimental for for me uh yes and and part of that is the the comics in the sense of the you know the drawings the sequential panels there's something about that juxtaposition of the narration with an image that is maybe slightly off kilter with it, where I think a lot of humor and play can happen. And I can get away with showing or writing about something serious in one of those registers and then having something a little comic or oblique in the other register um, takes the pressure off, you know. I think I was just going to talk about doubleness, you know, that um, if I'm talking to students about sentimentality, I'll say, you know, your characters have to have contradictions and which way are you going to, which one are you going to emphasize, you know, the dark or the light or what are there. Um, but actually, humor is, a, it can be a, a case of doubleness of two ways of looking at things. You know, irony is a comment on the thing that's happening, you know, so you, right. so you get the, the, the sense of the bystander and the event. Um, and I think that the reader likes to be that bystander, likes to share that sense of being able to look and laugh and be, be both inside and outside of the story. I, I think I remember the novelist Deborah Levy talking about how hard it is to write a character without interiority, that it's really hard to be a person without an interior life. Everybody has an interior life of some sort. And I think comedy is a form of that too, that there is there must be an element of a comedic sensibility in all of us it must be very hard to rinse it out as you say you can't survive without it yeah i mean if you were just you know in life without <clears throat> laughing or without thinking or that would be terrible i just want to say something about interiority which is something that is quite difficult to achieve in a, in a graphic novel um you know, it's, it's like a movie. You're showing things from the outside. I, I do have access yeah. to language to explain what's going on inside, but it's still, I am so envious, Anne, reading this book at these rich wells of these characters. Like, I'm just immersed. It, it's just, I mean, that's maybe an overused word, immersive, but that's the thing that I find so hard to achieve in a graphic story, that sense of just being in that world. So I'm really enjoying that. And, and and I'm envious of it. Like you can do so much with words. I mean, there's you know there's the saying a picture is worth a thousand words, but a picture actually takes up a lot more room than a thousand words. <laughs> I had to get rid of so many words. In, in yeah, but they say the that's what super. gives the your work a kind of really amazing sense of distillation. You know, you're not just because everything has to be carefully chosen, and you're not you're not just scrawling <laughs> you know, some, say you're That's reading true. you know Jack Kerouac who thumped it all out on a typewriter on a long roll of paper over you know through, I don't know how many weeks he took <laughs> but he was just pumping it out and that was <laughs> yes. you know and, and you're, you go along with that or and you enjoy that <laughs> as just flow in and out you know without any kind of uh, holding moment or yeah. you look at your work Alison and you say well this is this is chosen, this is really thoughtfully done. 
I was going to ask you both about influences. Um, and I, I think often in your case, Anne, people mention James Joyce, not just in terms of the specificity of Ireland, but the dynamics of the ordinary and the eternal, which you're always moving between. And for you, Alison, you've been explicit in citing Virginia Woolf as an influence, ideas of selfhood and desire. But I, I, I never know whether writers ever think consciously of their influences. But if I were to ask you to trace your literary genealogies, who, who would I find in there? Alison, you go first. Well, you know, I'm such a weird hybrid person. So many of my influences are are graphic. Um, I, I think of Edward Gorey. I don't know if you know his work. Tell us about <laughs> but, him. Uh, he's a funny, quirky guy who would write tiny illustrated books in a in a funny ironic like faux british way he never he's this american guy who never went to england but wrote these funny books uh <laughs> it doesn't help much since you haven't heard of him but <laughs> edward gory was a huge influence jane austen remains a huge influence um yeah just her her language those capacious sentences that i'm always trying to uh copy um i you know it's hard i'm not a real writer i guess is what i'm saying i don't have the same uh connection to writers that a real writer might have what about you what about you Anne, for your influences i i read alice monroe i went to canada when i was i was 16 and for a couple of years and i bought an alice monroe book i think in her bookshop in 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 victoria canada and went, I hitchhiking across the Rockies with it at the age of 18. And then, and a Margaret Atwood as well, The Edible Woman. That was in 1981. So after that, I read Alice Munro because I wanted to read, remember my childhood in Canada. And it took me a very uh, long time to realize I, that this was really, really good work. <laughs> it's really. So uh, when she won the Nobel, I mean, that was just such a, uh, I, 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 threw my hat in the air. It was just so fantastic. But because I had had such a lifelong, I suppose, or decades long sense of companionship from her work, um, I liked the way she worked close to the personal without being, and staying fictional. I liked the way she she took the, the, the stuff of her life and threw it up in the air time and time again to see what the story might be this time. Um, but you know, when I was young and I, 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 before in my in my teens, I would go into bookshops and I'd look for those white spined books, the Picador books, like Marquez and Angela Carter, um, and those were those more fantastical books were what I met my teenage mood more. I mean, I read Joyce, Joyce and. <laughs> It's a it's a, you know every faux intellectual in Ireland reads Joyce early and often so so it was a while before I could see how close Joycean prose was to the language that was spoken around me at home hmm. um, as well as to everything else so influence and tradition are two different things very hard to disentangle. Mm. Um, and and for usually male writers, very onerous. You know, you're trying to you you you've got a competition going with the, some voice in your head that you have to be as good as mm. Saul Bellow or something. And I can, so I don't. You don't, I don't feel think, a sense of competition. Y y yeah, I've, I I 
you know, it's great to read great writers because you see how 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 they fill the book, you know. Um, and I suppose you want to. I don't. I don't feel. No, I don't feel a sense of competition. I'd have to. Do Do you, Alison? Because I think lots of people would say what you do is so distinctive that perhaps there isn't an element of competition. But are there literary artistic specters that you're 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 wrestling with? You know, I I like what you just said. I feel like I I try so much to cultivate my own peculiar thing that I don't have to compete like it's just I'm just I want to be sui generous you know yeah. <laughs> then that I can't be compared but that's really because I am I think deep down so competitive that I can't bear competition I can't bear the thought of it <laughs> well that that takes us to your to, to your new book to to the the secret of superhuman strength and um maybe maybe that one of the things I think that is so powerful about that is of course your candor about what your pursuit of exercise is through those decades that it is a kind of relief and it is also both itself this glorious um performance view as well it's an adventure and there's something joyous about that book as well as painful but i i wonder whether you you think that there is a kind of there, is there a kind of religious fervor in your dedication to exercise in the secret to human, superhuman strength? It, it seems there's a kind of questing there to me. It's funny that you say that, Shahida, because I was just looking back at my initial proposal for that book, and it had a very explicit paragraph in it about how exercise is my religion, that it's filled with expiation and uh I, I can't remember now, I was using all these religious terms to describe my exercise experience, but that sort of got written out of the book. Although I do think it is enclosed in this larger spiritual quest, this sort of Buddhist um, search for the no self. Yeah, I, I absolutely saw that. And actually, as I was thinking about the things to talk to you both about, one of the things I wanted to ask you about was Catholicism, that you, you both grew up in those households or with uh, that religious context. And I, I remember the critic Marina Warner some years ago talking about what a, a Catholic upbringing does to your imagination, even if you are lapsed. She said that it gives you a strong sense of icons and iconicity in the image. And I wonder if you both have a sense of how a religious upbringing shapes you as writers. Anne? Just to take that a little bit further, what a Catholic upbringing gives you is a great sense of metaphor because transubstantiation is the ultimate metaphorical sort of fusion of spiritual and, and material. So um, just to, it's not just about gazing at icons. I actually have just been writing about statues. Hmm. Um, I have a young person writing about statues and how young people don't like statues and the idea of falling on your knees in front of a statue and looking up into those dull eyes mm. <laughs> to ask for something um how strange it's kind of gone as an idea yeah. um but so iconography not so much the the the, the, the religious art in my local churches was terrible and 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 uh, and, and the emphasis I, I don't want to get into trouble for t saying that the emphasis on, on the crucifixion was for a young mind um not the healthiest <laughs> spending an hour every sunday 
looking at a cement oh, deck. God. Looking at those bloody wounds. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love what you just said about transubstantiation as the like as metaphors, this ultimate metaphor, though, Anne, that's great. I think for me, my my big connection from Catholicism to my work is the the idea of confession. And I'm just endlessly compelled to like rid myself of something, uh, anything that I can to to achieve some state of grace of emptiness at the end in, in this podcast we always give you the opportunity to ask each other questions you two have already been doing that but do you have burning questions for each other did you do you write about competitiveness in your book Alison do you, is that some do you draw any conclusions about being so competitive you can't bear to compete I have avoided that topic although there are there's a certain section in are You My Mother, my memoir about my mom, where I talk about these unbearable feelings of envy I was having of, of other cartoonists who were succeeding at a point in my life when I was not getting recognition. And it was the worst feeling. And I've had people come up to me and say, wow, that was so brave of you to talk about that feeling of envy, which made me realize that I think many people feel that and are immobilized by it. It's the worst feeling. Uh, Envy is very, very difficult. I mean, jealousy is much yeah. more open and, and competitiveness. Yeah. I just wondered whether you thought of competitive as a more of, to reuse a word I've been using, a more of a jostling thing. Envy is kind of locked in, isn't it? Very sickening. <laughs> Alison, did you, did you have a question for Anne? I had a question about chronology. As, you know, I'm, I'm limited, sadly, to discussing this one book of yours. I'm so sorry. No, no, no. Um, but I love how this story proceeds in chronological order. Um, but within that, you delve in and out of the past and present in very interesting ways. And I, I wondered if that was something that you figured out first or if that structure too evolved as you went along. Yeah, everything is grown in the dark, like mushrooms in the shade. <laughs> so, uh, I, I, you know, and I wreck my head on those those subjects. I would love to start off on Tuesday and write a book that finished on Friday and didn't go back to thinking about the last week <laughs> at all or forward to next week. That's what that's, you know, that would make my life just lovely. Mm. But the, uh, my narration... My narration mimics the way we live. I think we live kind of at, at, at various different ages all at once. I, 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 I almost feel the older I get, mm -hmm. I'm living in layers, you know, that the young, yeah. the young me is still there and, uh, uh, and that, they, that these, the, you shift, but you don't necessarily grow. You don't lose the former selves. It's a uh, hundred years of Kate books. That's why we're here. We're celebrating books of all kinds. And it is a, a vintage podcast tradition to ask you for reader recommendations. So is there, is there something that you would direct our listeners to, to read? Or, or Alison, if it's a graphic novel or a comic, uh, is there something that you would recommend for our, our listeners? Um, and do you want to go first? Well, I just finished um, The Promise by Damon Galgut. And, uh, and it was long listed for the booker last night. Yeah, and I really enjoyed it. Um, and it is—it's got lots of family in it, lots of deaths and funerals in it. 
Um, so it's somewhat familiar territory for me. But I loved his narrator and the way uh, and the writing was amazing. It was just lovely. Um, I, 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 and I couldn't, and I enjoyed its la absence of plottedness and the feeling that something was happening nonetheless. Mm. Damien Gilbert, the, the, the promise, isn't it? Yeah. It's just been long listed for the booker. What about you, Alison? Um, I would recommend a, a graphic memoir by the, the American cartoonist Roz Chast. Um, she's a, one of the New Yorker cartoonists who has this very distinctive, <laughs> wonderful, weird little style. Um, her, her book, Can't We Talk About Something More Pleasant, which is about her parents' aging and death. And it's incredibly moving and sad and hilarious somehow at the same time. I love that title. It's a very Alison Bechtel kind of title as well, I think. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, Alison Bechtel and Anne Enright. And thank you for listening to Kate in Conversation on the Vintage Books podcast with me, Shahid Abari. You'll find details of Anne and Alison's latest books in the show notes, as well as my book, Dressed, The Secret Life of Clothes, which is part of Cape's non-fiction list. And if you'd like to learn more about the storied history of Jonathan Cape Publishing, you'll find a great article in the bookseller, which tells you just that. And we'd love to to hear what you thought of this episode you can leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts or you can get in touch at vintage books on twitter facebook or instagram the vintage books podcast is back in two weeks and i'll be back in six weeks talking to our next pair of cape writers novelist julian barnes and the artist celia paul thank you and Alison. goodbye thanks so much thank you